Broadcasting live from an airstream somewhere in Tornado Alley, bringing you the people, places, and stories from the Panhandle to the Red River. This is your Only in Oklahoma show. And welcome to the show. It's Oklahoma, and the shenanigans continues. This time, it's skeleton shenanigans. And uh, yeah, we got a chance to talk to Ashley at the Osteology Museum, and... Let me tell you, I got a bone or two to pick with her about scale. Okay, I was just trying. I was really trying hard. I was trying hard. I'm bred and I'm a bonehead. And I'm Harley and I work with a bonehead. <laughs> the Museum of Osteology, I think it fits squarely it in the Aquatober activities. They would be proud of me. I have a pretty decent sized skeleton. They're not real. Because uh, I'm pretty sure that there would be somebody looking with the whole Dahmer thing going on right now. I don't want to be squarely in the crosshairs of the FBI for having skeletons strung about my flower bed in the front of my house. But I have a pretty nice little skeleton display going on. Well lit with some big... Yeah, it's they would be proud of me. They and would. They, you also have a few skeletons in the closet. I do. I do. And a few bones to pick of my own. But... Really cool uh, interview with Ashley. Check it out. All right, chances are likely you've driven down I-35 or to I-240 and seen the signs for the Museum of Osteology. You may even saw their short-lived reality show on, I believe it was TLC. Today, we're lucky enough to have Ashley Mason Burns Mearshart from the Museum of Osteology to tell us all about bones, digging up bones, boiling bones, and everything in between. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. Great to be here. What a weird time to have a museum. If you're open, you're lucky. If you get anybody to come in, you're lucky. What have you guys been doing in the meantime with all this COVID and social distancing? What's been going on? Right. We've been really busy, actually. So we closed the museum uh, right ahead of our huge spring break week. It was going to be the biggest, one of the biggest weeks ever for the museum and the history of the museum, as well as for the year for us. But we decided to close down. So March 13th was our last day open until we reopened uh, last month. What we did in the meantime is we are actually in the middle of redoing all of the exhibits on the first floor of the museum. So if you haven't been to the museum before, there's actually two levels. It is open, so you can see the uh, second level while you're standing on the first level. There's a huge humpback whale skeleton that hangs from the ceiling. That humpback whale skeleton is 44 feet long. Wow. So you definitely, if everyone who visits, that's one of the main things they remember uh, about their visit besides the flesh-eating beetles, of course. But we can talk about that later. <laughs> but we decided to redo the entire first floor of the museum. And we were in the middle of this remodel since January. And we decided just to go ahead while the museum was closed, take that time, and just redo all of the exhibits downstairs, finish everything, and make new exhibits too. Brett kind of started off a little further into oh, yeah. into the story than than I would prefer. Okay, sorry. <laughs> how did you guys actually start the museum? I mean, how how did where did that idea come from? The idea came from Jay Villamoret, who is the founder of our museum. He actually began his passion for osteology, which is the study of bones. So that's what our museum is dedicated to, the study of bones, skulls, and skeletons from all types of animals that live modern, current animals. We refer to them as extant species. Many people have heard of extinct species. We study the opposite of extinct, which is extant. So his love of bones and animals, wildlife, actually began when he was seven years old. 
he was uh, walking in the woods with his brother and they came across a skeleton that was inside of a blanket. They thought it might have been a person skeleton. So they're really concerned. They showed their father and their dad, who didn't know a lot about osteology, he knew it wasn't human, but he really didn't know what he was looking at. So Jay was fascinated with the skeleton, decided to keep the skull, go to the library and try to figure out what type of animal this was based off of the skull shape, the teeth size, the eye placement. And he actually figured out it belonged to a domestic dog. Wow. So someone must have maybe left their pet outside after it passed away. And then it was skeletonized, uh, which is the process we use to clean the skeletons. But it's the natural process without any of our artificial components of it. I'm speeding it up. So he found that skeleton in the woods. And then every skull or skeleton he found after that, he was very fascinated. He had to learn everything there was about any animal he came across. I'm sure we all know kids who are like that. They know every name of every dinosaur or just a ton of animal facts. Well, that was Jay. He would actually study all of these skeletons and his dad actually helped him figure out the best method to clean the skeletons. Jay started using flesh-eating beetles. Uh, to help prepare the skeletons, which is what we have on display at our museum, that visitors can actually come and see how we use a natural process to remove all the tissue off of the bones. So it was really his lifelong dream to be able to start this museum, to share all of the skeletons he had accumulated over his career, over his time as a collector, you know, collecting all of these different exotic animals. People haven't even heard of some of the species that we have. Everything from the very exotic to the very common animal. We never think about the skeletal structure of a dog or a cat, but it's something you can see at the museum every single day. So that's really where the museum came from and its origins is all from Jay discovering that skeleton when he was a seven-year-old boy and his father, more importantly, encouraging him to uh, go after his passions and curiosities, even if they might seem odd to someone at first. I remember, you know, it's still, I don't know if the signs still say it, Skulls Unlimited. When I, many, many years ago, I remember when Skulls Unlimited, when it first started, it was on Shields Boulevard in like a little, if you didn't, if you weren't looking for it, it was a very specialized market. (laughs) You know, not everybody's, you know, there was the, I think they had like a koi pond shop next door down the road or something. If you didn't look, know what you're looking for, it was there. And they, y'all have just blown up. Exactly. So, When you talk about the history of the museum, you have to talk about Skulls Unlimited. So Skulls Unlimited is really kind of the way that Jay was able to take his hobby and his passion and turn it into a business. Skulls Unlimited was founded in 1986, and that's actually the museum's parent company. Jay began this company called Skulls Unlimited at the time. Today, it's known as Skulls Unlimited International. Mm -hmm. They were actually a provider of osteological specimens. Today, 33 years later, we're the largest supplier in the world for osteological specimens. We sell specimens to nature centers, natural history museums, private collectors, medical schools, universities, TV and movies all the time. He actually started our company just off of a one-page price list, actually selling skulls out of his residence, out of his house. And then he did move to the Shields location. And the uh, business you're talking about was actually his father's toy pond. yeah business and they actually shared a space and then in i believe 2000 1999-2000 they moved over to our large space which is off of sunny lane off of 240 Uh and that's where uh, our company was based out of and then the museum ultimately the first museum that we have um was uh, created there what's funny is i used to work at lowe's 20 years ago and we would send people 
if they needed a certain pump that we didn't have, we would send send them just up the road and around the corner to that. So yeah, it's, it's such a great story. And what's funny when we were kids, you know, I'm in my forties, he's in his forties. It wasn't cool to like bones. You're a weirdo. You're a dork. Now it's like, now I'm, because I don't like bones, I'm an idiot. I mean, I love bones, but I don't get into them like I did when I was a kid. Uh huh. So Jay's origin story, it, it sounds really cool. It does kind of remind me a little bit of Dexter. I'm going to say bit, yeah. a, l- a little bit with the finding animals. That kind of leads me into asking about one of your passions, which is forensic pathology. Yeah. And uh, you guys have recently opened up a new exhibit specifically around forensic p- pathologies. Yeah, absolutely. So we, it was really exciting because a lot of the times people don't realize when they come to the museum, they see all of these skeletons. They see, you know, 400 skeletons, 800 specimens on display, but they, and they assume that that's the entirety of the collection. But most of the collection is not on display for the public to see. So when we were creating this exhibit, we actually got to go into the collection and look at some of the human specimens that we have to see what we could place in a new exhibit. And so the exhibit used to be forensic pathology. Now the exhibit's uh, human forensics and pathology. We used to have two-headed calves, two-faced calves, animals with different polycephaly, multiple heads, or uh, two faces. Now we have only human specimens in that exhibit. So that exhibit talks about everything from skull development and how we age skeletons to analyzing gunshot wounds, types of uh, human diseases and traumas and pathologies. It kind of makes me think of the body farms that they have. There's, I think there's one in Texas. They have one in North Carolina that kind of does the earlier stages of how water affects bodies and things like that. I, I've never heard of anything where they study just the, the bone structure to see how what those effects of gunshots and things like that have on it. So that's yeah. really cool. A lot can be learned from the soft tissue, of course, yeah. but the soft tissue can only take us so far if we're mm-hmm. studying remains that are hundreds of years old, thousands wow. of years old, millions of years old. It can only take us so far, but by looking at the bone, you can read the bone and you can tell a lot about someone by just uh, looking at their skeletal remains. A lot of this can be viewed from the outside as being a little gruesome. Uh, is this something that would be fun for the kids? They're not Jay, I mean, or, or Brett. <laughs> right. <laughs> Absolutely. So a lot of people don't know what to expect when they hear a skeleton museum or a museum of osteology. They think, what could that possibly be? They really don't know what to expect. But all the time we talk to people, they said, thank you so much for having this. I had no idea I was interested in osteology before I came here. They find it so fascinating. So it's great for kids. And we have a lot of different things that we use to engage students and children at the museum who are visiting. One of the most popular things is our scavenger hunts, which take the kids around the museum. They have to identify uh, animal facts, use the animal skeleton to learn some type of information about the animal. Maybe it's locomotion, how the animal moves from place to place, or maybe it's a special skeletal adaptation the animal has that helps it in some way. Uh, we also have our Explorer's Corner, which has different dinosaur bones and fossils. That's really not something we specialize in, but we do have that. Everything from puppets to books, coloring stations there. We even have your uh, our own station where you can dissect owl pellets. Ooh, so you cool. can purchase an owl pellet in the gift shop, which is all of the, if you don't know what an owl pellet yeah. is, it's all of the 
bones and fur from the animals that an owl eats whole. Mm -hmm. They collect in a special pouch in the animal's throat and they cough it up kind of like an owl hairball. Mm -hmm. And scientists, they go through this owl pellet and dissect it. They pull all the bones out and they can actually tell a lot about the health of an ecosystem by looking at it because it gives us some insight into what type of prey animals are abundant in that area and how well the owls are doing and how well the prey is doing. Not to go back to COVID, but you mentioned sure. having a lot of, you guys do a lot with, you know, when I talked to Jay, he talked about how much you guys do with schools and tours and like you were saying. All that stuff. And I can't imagine, you know, that's a big part of, you're a big part of their education. How does, right. how has COVID, obviously it's affected that tremendously. And moving forward, what are the plans for the future there? How are you overcoming it? Yeah, how are you overcoming that? Well, right now we're open to the public, which was the first step for us. And getting all of our guidelines in place having to do with occupancy and cleaning schedules and having our professional cleaning service come in and getting our extra funds allocated for that and grants in place and being able to do that. So uh, that was the first part of it. And now that we're open to the public, now we plan on doing uh, a lot more of our evening events that we had started to do a lot of. The most popular is called Forensic Night which is a lot of things we've been talking about, your chance to solve a real homicide. Oh, so cool. we're going to start that again. That was by far our most popular event. Now we're just starting it again uh, July 18th on Saturday, 6.30 p.m. is going to be our very first Forensics Night event since we've been reopened. I think you and I are having a conversation now because uh, Harley doesn't like true crime. And I don't know that oh. I don't know that it gets more true than actually touching a bullet hole. I just don't think it's something he's interested in. I don't know that you can say that because this isn't the same as true it kind crime. Kind of is. This sounds like you're being dropped into a detective movie. I love it. Yeah, but I just oh. I don't know. You're no Dick Tracy, man. So sometimes people get drugged uh, to the event by a spouse mm -hmm. or girlfriend, boyfriend, or their children think it's really interesting, so yeah. they drag them along. And people, again, once again, they say, I just didn't know what to expect, but I am so glad I came. It was so fascinating. You know, with the true crime wave of oh, popularity yeah, crazy right and now. the uh, forensics ever since forensics TV shows have mm -hmm. been so huge. Bones, the TV show. And you even mentioned Dexter, which kind of touches on some of the same, same things. People love to, so they love true crime and they love to solve cases. So now is their chance to actually be the investigator, be Bones, hold, you know, a specimen, be able to analyze it. We give you the tools to be able to do that, what to look for. Are you looking at a sharp force trauma from a knife wound or blunt force trauma from a hammer or a gunshot wound from a medium caliber weapon? We teach them what to look for and how to tell if injuries are old and happened earlier in life or happened at the time of death and how to sex a human skull and how to age a human skull as well. So by the end of the class, you'll find out about how old the subject was, their sex and their traumas. And you have to actually have to present and defend your evidence to the class. That is awesome. I used to collect <laughs> skulls from probably stray dogs that were whatever. And I would collect, if somebody had a cow skull, I would always <laughs> steal a tooth. I had a drawer full of, it looked, I was probably... I probably inspired Leatherface and got zero credit. So I, I totally, I totally get the, the, but I didn't have the processes you guys do for right. removing skin and soft tissue and things like that. I just think, I think the process is cool. It's like something straight out of science fiction. It really is. Oh, it's 
very interesting. That's I love all of it, but I find processing very interesting. So a lot of people first, like I said, recognize the flesh-eating beetles when they come to the museum. If you've been there before, you definitely have seen them. But that just is a small example of the flesh-eating beetle colony that we actually use to clean the skeletons. So this has a lot to do with Skulls Unlimited International. They clean several thousand skulls every month. That is what they do every single day. So we have a team of highly trained technicians who go through that process, everything from defleshing, which we refer to as flensing of a specimen, mass tissue removal, all the way to our flesh-eating beetle colony process, and then to chemical whitening and sanitizing and cleaning, and then ultimately to articulation. It will ultimately end up with our master articulators who will spend hours drilling uh, through every single bone, putting rods, wires, fastening every single piece of the skeleton together. So, Ashley, I've got, I'm going to try to get through this part. Sure. So, it's my understanding that if, so sourcing wise, you get your, I'm sorry, I've had these questions ready for months (laughs) and now I have somebody. So, all of your specimens are ethically sourced, donated. How do, how do you get your cadavers, skeletons? I don't know. What do you call them? Where do you find a whale? Where do you find a whale? Oh, so, All the skeletons we have in the museum come to us as donations. That's really important to us. They all come to us from animals who had died at zoos, nature preserves, sanctuaries, aquariums, rehabilitation centers. Now, the whale is an interesting example. That one, several of our whales, we work with different marine mammal stranding networks. So once the researchers go to a whale that has been beached and is on shore, the researchers collect all of the information they need, and then they have to decide what to do with this giant decomposing whale. They might have the option to donate them to us. So the largest one in the museum is the 44 foot long humpback whale. That one was actually buried in a field in Pennsylvania for two years and then came to us to clean ultimately. And then it took us a very long time to clean. Whale bones are saturated with oils and fats. It took us 700 hours just to put the pieces together for that skeleton. A whale in Pennsylvania I mean, that's an awful high tide. I'm just telling you right there. That's crazy. Uh, Massachusetts is where it was beached. Okay. Um, I so, didn't move. So I heard a weird fact, and maybe if it's wrong, we'll delete it. If I bring in my tabby cat, you guys oh. will articulate it for me? Schools Unlimited International does provide pet memorial services, and it's a very common service. And it's when someone's pet passes away, they will send the animal to us and we're able to clean that animal for the customer and we're able to send it back to them uh, as skeletonized, possibly in a certain pose or articulation that the person Mm -hmm. would like. We do provide those services because we have, you know, 30 plus years of processing and cleaning specimens. We have master articulators that have put together over a thousand skeletons just by themselves. So people know and they trust that their animals are going to be taken care of and uh, they'll they'll be able to have a memorial of that animal that they can look at every single day and remember what the animal was like in life. That is a, a very unique way to memorialize uh, an animal that I do have a question. I do have a follow-up question. Okay, fine. Go ahead. How much would it cost to fully articulate a a podcaster, like (laughs) post-mortem, obviously, 
I'm not. I'm not suggesting don't, anything. Don't don't answer him. Okay, you don't, have don't to answer him. But I do have a friend who had. This is a true story. Her husband's her ex husband's cat died, and it's been in the her their freezer for two years. So they every time they go, sure. they, every time they buy pizza rolls, Ooh. they've got to move <laughs> the cat. I, this is a true story. I keep telling them, you can take it to Skulls Unlimited. They'll take care of it. But they haven't done it. So, Ashley, how can people mm-hmm. find out what the new rules and regulations are, what you guys have coming up, and the best way to get a hold of you all? We're very active on our social media, Facebook, uh, Museum of Osteology. We're very active. We also have our uh, Instagram as well. The best way is the website. We update that with all of the uh, latest on our COVID regulations and upcoming events. The Forensics Night tickets for the July event are available right now. But I would say social media is probably the best way to get a hold of us. And we stay very active, always posting uh, pictures of new specimens that we're getting. We post about our Indiana Bones, which is our company cat, who's alive. <laughs> okay. <laughs> have I always have to specify alive who runs around the offices and the museum when it when the museum's closed he runs around so we post about indiana bones so you can see updates on him will he be eventually a part of the he's got to be he'll eventually be a part of the display somewhere he has to be right you know i feel like i've been asked every question and nobody's asked me that yet (laughs) leave it up to me (laughs) I, i work with him all the time like, that's his go-to. Yeah, that's my go-to. Uh, what are you going to do with the cat when it dies? So, Ashley, again, thanks a ton for taking the time to, to come on here. And we really, really appreciate it. We love what you guys are doing. And, man, rolling with the changes, you guys haven't stopped. It's awesome. No, we haven't stopped, and we won't stop. It is our passion to teach people about animals and uh, wildlife, osteology. So we definitely won't stop that. All right. Well, thanks again. My pleasure. When you go down to the Museum of Osteology yes. and you run into Ashley Mason Burns Mearshart. Yeah. Tell her that you heard about the Museum of Osteology yeah. from the guys over at the Only in Oklahoma show. And she's going to go, oh yeah, those guys were so fun. It's so professional. She might say that. What are those guys up to these days? I, I thought that show would, that show's still going? <laughs> yes, it's still going. Tell everybody about it. This has been the Only in OK show. I'm Harley. And I'm Brett. And we're out of here. Peace. Fucking rib bones. Like, what? What? What is this? Well, most people don't even know this this dinosaur existed. Like, yeah. that looks like a pork rib. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I, this this behemoth <laughs> had 762 pork ribs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, we wasted that bit about the... I didn't even... I was waiting to save when we were talking about that bone to pick. Bone to pick. So we are doing the Osteology Museum yeah, in bone. Okay. It's, I'd rather it be crooked than not work. Let's go. That's what I want to tell you. All right. Three, two, one.